everybody. Welcome back to episode two of the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. Welcome, everybody. Well, guys, episode two. We did it. Lucky number two. My Lucky favorite number. number. Two. It's all uphill from here. I feel like that's Nothing. cheating. Your favorite number is two? That's so early in the numbering. I, I was a smart kid. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> I mean, someone else probably picked number one as their favorite number, and Chris was just salty and picked number two, so that way he could get close to it. I, I, I feel to, that. I have to say, Lucas, that it's all uphill from here. Like, I don't like those sayings because it's all downhill and it's all uphill both mean good things. Look, I'm just saying, you got to keep that positivity going. Is know? it all uphill? Like, you, you can only go up from here? Oh, I guess. I thought, like, of a, like more of a, like, a Sisyphus, sort of. Oh, listen, it's so confusing. There's <laughs> there's so many ways it can go. The, how about just be positive? You know, we're good. We're three guys starting a podcast. What could go wrong? It's we're all up and downhill from here. In any case, welcome, listeners. If you've listened to our first episode, we're really going on a roll here and talking about our favorite game series, United is One Pokemon. And episode two, we're focusing not so much on the wildlife, which I'll be honest is where most of my life's focus is, but we're going about culture. When it comes to like cult, human culture is another just a soft spot for me because it really, I don't know, there's just something about the human experience that it's like, yeah, you could live here your entire life in one way. But like, meanwhile, across the planet or even like down the road, these people have lived completely differently from you for thousands of years. And they're like totally cool with it. It's important to acknowledge that. So before we get going, like any good podcast, we are going to talk about some news. How do y'all feel about lasers? I don't know enough about them to have an opinion, but they look cool, I guess. How do you feel about lightning? Terrifying, but pretty. How do you feel about shooting lasers with lightning? Yes. How do you feel about shooting lightning with lasers? Also, yes. (laughs) Well, it's really only the first one. They recently discovered that they are able to redirect lightning using a laser. So there was a researcher that reported it in January 16th in Nature's Photonics. Uh, They were able to use a laser to help redirect the lightning. And this has some pretty fun applications. A lot of places like airports and other sensitive areas, if you're getting struck by lightning, it's not really great. So... Normally, we would have, you know, a big old lightning rod, but you can only make those things so tall and they only protect a certain area. By using the laser, they are able to provide a much greater cone of protection around the area. In some cases, like they would be able to protect an area, something around hundreds of meters. So it's pretty useful stuff, especially since some places get struck by lightning around 100 times each year. So you might want to have a pretty good laser to help make sure your communications stay up, even help direct it away from storms. It's really cool. I just like, I I know that somebody's working on how to weaponize this thing. I mean, of all the things to weaponize, it's kind of like a fun one. I feel like, I mean, I'm sure it'll be horrible for everyone that gets lightning strike, lightning struck. But like, as far as it goes, I feel like that's kind of an exciting this is like old, like evil mastermind plans. Like this is like weaponizing nature. Peak yeah, bad scientist. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's great. Have y'all ever played um Just Cause Three? No. It's phenomenal. Great game. Let you destroy a whole bunch of stuff. In the DLC, you do get a lightning cannon, and what it does is it literally points down a laser beam, and then the lightning just falls down and blows up everything. It's one of the DLC weapons, and it, it's. It's hysterical. And now I just keep thinking about, oh, okay, uh, now we, we're one step closer. Well, there you go, Lucas. You just did. You just planned an episode right there. We'll get the researcher who made the laser lightning and we'll talk about Just Cause 3. Oh, DLC. can we please talk about Just Cause, Just Cause, Cause in general? I've it's, seen it's, various clips of Just Cause and it's always been a game I've wanted to play and I've just never gotten to. It's so good and so dumb, but it's so good. Just Cause 4 is trash and Just Cause 2 is a bit buggy, but Just Cause 3 just... Ah, that's the sweet chef's, spot. Yeah, chef's kiss. Wow, brilliant, perfect. Yeah, lightning. Yeah, laser redirects lightning. It's pretty dope. Check it out. Uh, Science News Daily has a really good article on it. Anyway, on to our. Well, again, normally we'd have some kind of gaming news, but we're kind of like making these all in one big batch. So if we put them out now, the news gets old. I kind of just wanted to ask your opinions again, since it's more on Pokemon. What are your thoughts on the Pokemon starters? Because, as you well know, Pokemon fans are anything if not tolerant of change and differing ideas to what the starters become. 
I think this is, might be one of the strongest group of starters. Ooh, you're coming in with the hot takes. Don, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm going to have to, for the most part, concur. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like this this generation starters as a whole compared to some of the others. Um, shout out Quadillion for existing and making me think about it occasionally. <laughs> okay honestly i think the weakest and please don't punch me i think the weakest group of starters was gen 5 like those are the that was chestnut no 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 that's gen 6 no chest that one had greninja so it can't be the worst it can't be the worst because greninja existed no one cares about delphox but like the ones i actively i'm sorry to the one delphox fan that's out there I love how the middle evolution is more popular because it was That's in a Pokemon. That's because it's in Pokken, yeah. yeah. Okay, Pokken was sick. I loved Pokken. That game yeah, was Yeah, I, I wish we got more. More Pokken, please. Like, if anyone cares what... Saying I was terrible at Pokken. I love it. Again, if anyone cares what episode two of a new podcast think, give me Pokken 2. I want to see more Pokemon fighting each other Tekken style. It was great. But... I really do think that I agree with you guys. This is some of the strongest starters. Now, there are many people who get upset that the grass type got on two legs. Sorry. I think there are there are bit, <laughs> there are bigger things to be worked up about. I'm one of them. <laughs> but I will say the fact that it's actually really good is making me like it more. Yeah, it is. It's got great. It's fast and it has a move that hits like a dump truck. I mean, it's and I'm I'm going to quote my friend Adi here um he called it uwu shifu and now i can't not think about it since it's also got i mean it doesn't hit through protect but it's a fast thing that's also dark and has a 100 percent crit move and it's kind of just dumb and has crazy physical coverage uh, another and uh, someone else because we were talking about how um it got trick room and they referred to it as a dark meow jishin girl oh stop that's really good <laughs> shut up oh god i i mean i gotta say and we'll talk about it later i love the skeleton crocodile i love fue coco everyone loves fue coco he's so good i especially love the memes that popped up of him like being stupid like just like there's nothing going on in there he's just a happy little he's a happy little guy i am a big fue coco fan yeah, you know, I, I will stand by Fue coco have you ever seen like the pictures of the pokemon store like oh everyone's selling out except for quaxley though yeah, I like Quaxley. I will say, um, I think Quaxley's an interesting mon. I liked the sort of, like, I didn't have Dancer. I was expecting, like, I think a lot of people were expecting maybe, like, a bullfighter or something from it when we heard it was maybe water fighting. I think people were also expecting, like, um, oh, what's that old Spanish story? Like, the knight against the windmill. What's it? Oh, Don Quixote. Yes, yeah, a knight. A knight. Don Quixote. Yes, I also heard uh, someone expect, hoping for, like, a Quaxquistador. Ooh, that would have been pretty interesting. Which would have been kind of fun. But I liked the direction they went with it for the most part. Uh, water fighting is a cool typing. I feel like it's kind of outshone right now with um, uh, Meowskarada and Skeledurge on a competitive standpoint. But I do think, I think maybe singles it's better. Uh, Moxie's a good ability. Aqua Step is cool. Honestly, all three of the starters' signature moves are pretty sick. This might be one of the first generation where all of them are in some way competitively viable. I'm trying to think. So what were the previous ones that actually had signature moves? Greninja had Water Shuriken, which, like, unless you used Palace Sand for the memes, was not really... Mystic Fire back in the day. Um, that was that was shield. a useful move. Now everything gets it, but it was yeah. still a useful move. Yeah, Spiky Shield. Spiky Shield's a legit move. Now yeah. more things get it. Yeah. Um, those weren't bad. Well, no, okay, Water Shuriken's bad. Yeah, it's silly, but it's fine. It's cool. I like it. I like it in Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. It's fun. But no, I think these starters are great. I think anyone being upset about them is upset because it didn't match their vision of it. Which, again, you are entitled to being upset. You are not entitled to tell people that their tastes are trash. Like, that's basically it. Like, if you don't what if like, they like Quadillion? I mean, look, man, they have bigger issues than what we think of them. They're clearly homeless. They clearly have not had everything go their way in life. So wait, are you saying qu- 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 Wait, what's Quadillion? Quadillion. How do, like, what, what is the middle form of chestnut called? Aladdin. I hate it. <laughs> Just straight up. No edit. Don't edit that and how fast. Like, literally, I want everyone who hear just how fast he said he hates it. Just like, no, hate. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a lot of middle stage Evos can be kind of awkward. And I feel like all three of these ones, they kind of knocked it out of the park. No, the middle stages are all really good. I, I honestly think that Fue Coco's was a little weird. 
I like his. Well, you have you noticed his little sombrero has is it, it's a bird nest, and then yeah, later the bird. bird. Yeah, and I love that design. I love the uh, the thirty. Like I feel like they're all well designed, but I'm gonna also I'm just I just stand play Coco, but um, the fact that one he has the little bird's nest, and then the little bird on his head is one reference to like the uh, you know, like the symbiotic mutualism that crocodiles and birds will have, where birds will clean their teeth out. It's like that's fun. Um, and then you have on top of that, you have his cool little, um, the pattern on his face looks like the walkout part of like a concert stage. And then when he does, tor- when he uses torch song, the bird slides down his face and becomes the microphone. And it's just, and the fact that he's fire ghost and there's like extinct crocodile species that lived in Iberia, like dinosaur times. I just think there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. There's amazing stuff going on there. I, again, I think they're all amazing starters i think they really did a good job and as we talked about last episode it's not just them like they've completely outdone themselves in some of these amazing designs and references i think they did a pretty good job so on that note let's let's start talking about some culture let's get some culture one of the things people don't realize about the pokemon games is that they don't just like look at pictures of an area and be like, hmm, yes, Spain will make a good region and just start drawing. They actually send employees out there to take pictures, to study, to get references, to make sure that they are getting some part of the culture in their game. They want you to say, hey, this is Spain. In the beginning, it was like, yeah, these are areas of Japan. Only people in Japan are going to recognize them. But as they realized how international they were, they started kind of branching out. Of course, this being Japan, if you don't know how they work, they are really only interested in things that they like. Like, if that makes any sense. I, I, that sounds obvious. Like, obviously, you only go to work with what you like. But for them, it's very much the idea of, well, all the tourists go here, 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 and here. So let's have the regions here, 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 and here. You know, France, Hawaii, the UK. I like how they did, like, the United States, but only the tri-state area. That's the only place that matters. I mean, the next American region would probably just be L.A. But we could honestly, if we were to just go through the games and like just walk through the regions, you could like pick parts all day about what's like they've added to the regions. Aren't, aren't they? Aren't they all like top visitation locations for Japan? Yeah, every single one of them is like a place like a Japanese people will love to visit. The only Japanese place that's more centered is like one neighborhood in Brazil called Liberdade that's in Sao Paulo, and it's that's it. Like everywhere else, like, no, these are all places they like to visit. I appreciate that they seem to have a value for good location scouting because that's that's a big part of like lots of different kinds of production, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you get into like TV and movies and, and video games. And like you said, like before, when all the regions were based Wait, in Japan. Time out real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt. Is Phoenix a Japanese tourism hotspot? No. They shout out to, shout out to, uh, Oris. Yeah, no, or, no, the, or, the ore region. Yeah, Pokemon yeah, Coliseum. Region, Coliseum. Yeah, Coliseum is awesome. Uh, I'm sorry. I was sorry to interrupt you, Chris. I was like, is that a, maybe that was a Japanese factoid that I just did not know about? They like Las like, Vegas. Hey. A lot of Japanese visitors to Las Vegas because gambling is more is restricted in Japan and in Vegas it is not. Anyway, Chris, sorry, continue. No, I was saying the, uh, in the early generations, they like all the regions they were basing on are in Japan, but once they like getting people out into the areas and, and researching and really like embedding yourself in there and, and learning about it and seeing what it has to offer and what makes it unique, that really like rounds out the game that you're trying to build and, and the, uh, and the area that you're trying to make it feel like a real lived in space. The, um, the first bit, they clearly stopped in Barcelona that was like their first stop. That's where the airport is. And they clearly just went to town on it because that's the Mezagoza, like the big major city is just Barcelona. And that's where it holds the big academy. Um, the city is, it's a beautiful city. You will get people who tell you how to pronounce it. Ignore them. Just pronounce it. People know what you're talking about. I will say that um, it is this amazingly beautiful city from everything I've seen and heard about it. But the big academy is based on a real-life cathedral. Uh, I'm going to – I shouldn't be butchering this because I'm Brazilian and Cuban. Sagrada Familia. The Sagrada Familia is the shortened name of this massive cathedral. This church started construction in 1882 and is still under construction to this day. I'm pretty sure I I had a 3D puzzle of this as a kid, and that is also still under construction. I, <laughs> I mean, it's accurate then. 
you did it right. <laughs> Anyone who finishes it is just like, jumping ahead of the game. But if you're thinking what could possibly postpone all that, let's count the Spanish-American War, uh, World War One, World War Two, uh, two global pandemics now, uh, the changing of progress leads multiple times, several military dictatorships and changes of the political system over time. We're projected for it to come and open up sometime between 2026, 2030. But again, it's, it's construction. And apparently it's done because it needs more spires. I want you all to look this thing up, the Sagrada Familia, and you tell me, does it need more spires? I see several areas that do not have spires. Shut up. Lucas, are you an architect? No. Then you are not qualified to say whether or not this has enough spires. It's 90% spires. What do you want? 10% more? Those are rookie numbers. Get those numbers up. <laughs> I don't need... Okay. The reason they need more spires is apparently to make them... Each spire, once you go in, it's going to have like depictions of like a different biblical tale, which is very pretty, very cool. This thing has already outlasted most popes. This thing is older than most countries in construction. There are people who have were born, lived, and died while this thing waited for spires. I think it's good. Wrap it up. You you can go you go tell them that, Lucas. <laughs> I don't want they'll they'll kill me, dude. I don't want to die. I'm gonna complain here in America where it's safe. Uh, aside from uh, the spire obsessed Barcelonians. Uh, they do add a bunch of different towns and a bunch of different regional areas. They have fishing villages and Spanish markets. You have uh, snowboarding areas, like which, incidentally, you don't think of Spain for snowboarding, but it turns out they actually have some of the most mountainous regions in, like, Europe. So that's pretty cool. What's the name of the mountains again? Oh, uh, there's the Pyrenees. No, sorry, Pyrenees that are in like the north uh, northeast Spain. Okay, yeah, I was wondering like, about like that. the border with uh, France. Cool. I mean, it's it's neat. I just I think it's really cool that they add those details to it here. I mean, it does wetlands and what have you, like we mentioned the last time. But um, I think one of my favorite towns is like the first like town with the bug gym leader. You know, the one who threatens to kill you in the middle of a fight. She's great. Uh, Cortondo. It's a city in the game that specializes in harvesting olive oil. Spain is, and I just learned this, the largest producers of extra olive oil on the planet because they produce almost half of the world's supply. That's a lot of oil. That's, I mean, and they do a good job at it. Apparently, no, it's good stuff. Um, I do like as well that the Northwest is also like destroyed from like strip mining, massive holes, and like it's a tunnel and a mess. And that's because in the real Spain, there is sex, there are sections of the country where there's tons of mining for, I'll be honest, a sinful amount of money. Every year they make over 3.4 billion euros worth of money off copper and other metal mining so that area has been a bane a, a massive vein for copper even since the ancient times so it's pretty cool that it's still out there i will say i like that the region has like a bunch of stuff but um you know i'm not gonna get a lot of chances to talk about the car pokemon i like river room everyone like the car i don't really have any strong feelings towards it it's I not, not my thing I wish his like ability. I wish some of his moves like synergize a little better with like his stats. Um, his signature move drops his speed, which would be kind of cool for Trick Room. But um, he's still like naturally pretty fast. Hmm. Yeah, it's not. But I, mean, I think you he's can cool. make it hold an Iron Ball, but then what's a what a waste. I feel like though he like I almost feel like he needs a third evolution. Like I want a giant V eight, all shiny and chrome. I think honestly, Pokemon screwed up when they showed us how awesome the car could be when those school hooligans drove it. Yeah, I want the final form to be, yeah, uh, something like that. Or I've also seen like arguments that like he could be, he should be more like an octopus while he's by himself, and he like. But we already have Rotom, who sort of like possesses vehicles, so it's kind of like I guess you have to make it different. I guess. Oh no, I just called mine Initial D because I like that '90s driving anime, and I just I kept it on my main team because it's like, hey, you're poison and steel. This covers my bases. Run them, run them over. I went on my team for a long time, like, and not even intentionally. I was like, oh, it's kind of a useful typing for my team. And he was just kind of there for most of the game. Good guy. Really fun. I also had a Kilowattrol as well. I also had Kilowattrol on my team. Good good bird. Very nice bird. Of the last location that really strikes me as, like, just truly such a cool idea, um, the tag tree thicket in the game is based on the Oma Forest. If you've never heard of it, and if you go into the game, you'll see all the paintings on the tree. That is a real painting project that was done in the mid-80s by, uh, hang on, I'm going to, Augustin Ibarola. 
Augustin Barola, he spent three years painting trees in an attempt to make an art project that kind of displayed the dark harmony between humanity and nature. If you look at them different ways, it depicts animals and different shapes, and it's really cool. They just had to protect it due to a lot of the vandalism since he had some views that people didn't agree with. I can't even remember the views. I just know people. This is the, uh, oh, this is like Grafai Eyes sort of. Yeah, Grafai right? Eyes. Yes. Like in the game, Grafai Eye, our little Eye Eye Pokemon, is like painting it up. And in real life, it's a Spanish artist who wanted to talk about human and nature connection, which I think is, you know, pretty cool that they would add such an important art piece. And not even an old one. Again, this was made in the 80s, but it's a historical piece that is protected in Spain. And then Pokemon Sign was like, we should put an Eye Eye here. Yeah, put a put a lemur there. Put an angry lemur who kind of uses prankster weirdly. Yeah. What's that meme of like the robot who like butters toast? Like, what do you do? You get rid of you get rid of of Trant. Truant. Truant. Yeah. What is it? You get rid of Truant. That's your ability. You make your slacking viable. Yeah. Otherwise, job. you get to be worse Grimmsnarl. Yeah. You are worse Grimmsile. You are worse Sableye. You just sit there. Be a be a good lemur. I, I now there was one cultural thing that I found weird. Like so, obviously, um, when you're picnicking, everyone was like, "Okay, oh boy, what are we doing this time? Are we making snaps? Are we making paella? What are we? What are we pulling off?" And then when they announced, "Like you're going on a picnic and you're making sandwiches," people were like, "What?" It struck me as weird. It did, but okay, I had to look it up just to see. Sandwiches were not invaded in Spain, but they did become quite popular in the 1800s because meat got cheaper. And because meat was able to get cheaper, they were able to hand it out with different breads and stuff, but it was still served as British food. Uh, honestly, I'm surprised we didn't do tapas. Like, I think that would have been really cool to, like, take a bunch of ingredients and make tapas and share them with your Pokemon friends. Yeah. That seems about right. For those who don't know what tapas are, it's a, it's not a dish. It's a style of dish where you make a bunch of little dishes and everyone shares. Think think appetizers, but for the meal. The sandwich thing, the sandwich thing is just, it's just weird. Like, it or like it just feels not. Oh, I don't want to say lazy. I don't know for like all the foods that you can like make, like how they were doing things. It just seemed very strange. There are two ways I feel about it. One. If you were a kid set on an adventure fairly recently, you'd probably only know how to make sandwiches. That's true. Two, with the sandwiches, it feels very Japanese. I, living there for a while, you learn that Japanese people love sandwiches. They love making decorative sandwiches. That's just something they love doing. But there are so many foods in Spain from like chocolate cooked chicken to all kinds of like all kinds of seafood, all kinds of like vegetables and salads and pastas and all kinds of stuff that the Spanish eat that's really delicious that is pretty simple to make. And again, curry isn't easy. And we made some other kids do it. It's just, I don't know. It's weird that you can go to the restaurants in the game and find better food. Don, any thoughts? I guess, yeah, the sandwiches are like maybe a little out of place, but um, it does feel like when you think about like children adventuring, I feel like it does make sense. Also, if you're trying to recreate um, dishes from a game, I guess it makes it very easy. I do love how in the game story, it's like, hi, I'm going to make a magical sandwich, but not for your dinosaur monster lizard. Yeah, I, I do the, appreciate the fact that sandwiches within the game, though, do confer, like, actual powers. Like, just the amount of shiny chance, like, increases you can get. It's clearly, sandwiches are a powerful force. Yeah, no, I'm seeing why he was so greedy on those sandwiches. It's like, no, these are unbelievable power. I will not waste them on you. I will use them instead for my dog. I mean, fair enough, though. His dog was dying. He's a good dog, too. He was a good dog. Master, oh, sorry. In combat, no. In the story, yes. Good dog. I think it's got, I'm not going to talk about it yet, actually, because I have niches I want to try. <laughs> okay, like, no, you're not going to give it away. All right, uh, yeah. so to, to avoid any of Don giving away his strats, I do want to start, like, let's talk about some of, like, the Pokemon culturally. What are y'all's thoughts on this reason's Rattata? Lechonk. That's not the Rattata. That's the, that's the I consider no, that Pommy, the region's Rattata. Pommy is the Rattata. No, Pommy's the Pikachu clone. Oh, this fine. is the useless okay, Route One okay. normal type. Okay, okay. And my okay, opinion fine. is that he's a useless Route One normal type. Same as they always are, Pinky. I think I think he's the best of the useless Route One normal types. I don't know. Raticate gets guts. Oh, I'm not talking like competitive. I think it's the best. I think it's the most fun, like design wise. It's kind of fun. The fact that I named it Lechonk is very fun. 
and it's kind of like a a double double name since like one he's a little chonky and isn't like lechon like a pork sandwich or something yeah that's what we're going to be talking about right now we're talking about food see i wasn't even looking at the show notes look at that yeah <laughs> so lechon is an oinkaloni we're not going to talk about oinkaloni because we know it's meant on bologna and they're both pig based pork products so they they named them out the food pokemon is saying we should eat pokemon okay like there's an entire podcast dedicated to it. They're pretty cool guys, and they they got their head on their shoulder. We are eating Pokemon. Wait, re- real quick, you pronounce it Oinkaloni? What do you pronounce it as? Oinkalone, like cologne. See, I always pronounce Oinkalone. Like I thought it meant like baloney, but I guess yeah. I, I thought it was like. Well, doesn't it talk about it being able to smell stuff really well? I it says the, to yes. have a nice aroma to it, and it does get lingering aroma as a new ability. What does lingering aroma do again? I forget what it does. Uh, bad. Oh, yeah, no. Contact changes the attacker's ability to lingering aroma. It's mummy. Okay, it's mummy, but worse. It's mummy, but worse, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Oinkalone. Oinkalone? Okay, so I'm, I'm wrong. But you know what? I'm thinking of it as Oinkalone now, uh, I will say. I, um, do they use um pigs to look for, like, truffles and stuff in Spain? Is that a thing that – do they have the – Truffle pigs are a thing. Yeah, I didn't know if I didn't know if there was like if there were truffles in that region though, because I feel like the pigs were maybe a partial reference. But I don't know if it talks about them sniffing other than just smelling a lot. I mean, Spain has a lot of black truffles. And that's the one I was just looking at. There are truffle hogs in Spain. Okay, so it, I, it does make sense. Yes, for me, I just love lechon because it is based on lechon. Lechon is a pig dish famous from the Philippines. Uh, it is found in other parts, but if you've never had it before. It's slowly roasted suckling pig. So whenever you it's see a delicious. pig, on, it's amazing. It's pig on a spike, just like turned over charcoal. It's a huge meal dedicated for special occasions. Um, if you're wondering why the Philippines is here, uh, the Spanish conquered them for over 400 years. Now, before the Spanish got there, people were already roasting pigs. The pigs had already come from trade with China. They were already knew how to roast a pig on a stick. It was the Spanish influence that changed a lot of the spices, and it was the Spanish who conquered that changed the name to Lechon because they probably couldn't have pronounced the other name. That's what you do. Like any famous recipe, tons of variants, but to cook it, you basically take the pig and you insert lemongrass, spring onions, bay leaf, and uh, tons of garlic. And again, it's a very big cultural piece to so many people in the Philippines, and I like that little, the little touch to it. To this day... Cubans and other Spanish-speaking nations eat lechon or some version of it. In Cuba, they have what's called a cajachina, something um, they adopted from Chinese immigrants, which is basically a giant, a giant wooden box made with coals. Instead of roasting it on a spit, they put all the stuff and season it. They put the pig in the box and then just let it cook in there. Then you flip it, and then you let that side cook. Gets you the similar results. Love it. It's one of my favorite uh, childhood memories is eating a leading pig like that with my family on uh, Thanksgiving. We thought a turkey wasn't enough, so we roasted a whole pig. I like it. I should have had a bigger dinner before talking about all this food. Don't worry. I, I, I limited it. We're only talking about a few food ones with the culture. Just a few. Just a touch. We'll, we'll, let, let's take a break from food. Let's talk about a very good boy. Very good boy. This generation has so many good boys. So many good doggos. And we have, like, the best graveyard dog someone could ask for, Grievard. Good dog. Good dog. I love that its evolution is a monster. I love that that thing should, like, it likes being in the sand. It likes killing things. It's great. I love that dog. It's still a good boy, too, though. Mm-hmm. What is, so it is a sheep dog, right? Like, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, so Grievard and um, Houndstone are both based off the, uh, the cattle and sheep dog. Or the um, which and which uh, hails from Catalonia, which is an autonomous region in uh, the northeast corner of Spain. And the Catalan sheepdogs, it's like pretty much exactly. It looks very similar to Grivard. They're both just kind of shaggy guys. Um, I think they're a pretty personable breed. They are a working breed, as the name would imply. They're a sheepdog, kind of live in mountainous regions or are native to like the Catalan region has a lot of mountains. Um, and you can find Grivard in a lot of mountainous areas within the game as well. It's a very old breed. They think they may date back to uh, like introduction from Roman dogs that were then bred to be uh, better for the climate. Um, they're also uh, can be used as watchdogs. Apparently, they're a very good like all around sort of breed. But yeah, and it even talks about in the Pokédex entries for Grivard 
they're actually wildly depressing. Have you guys seen the Pokédex entries for Grievard? It's a pretty it's a pretty standard ghost entry. Yeah, but this like like, suck your soul out if you're like playing with it. It is said that a dog Pokemon that died in the wild without ever interacting with a human will be reborn as this Pokemon. Sweet Jesus, that's awful. But then it gets its revenge because it then interacts with a human and kills the human. Yeah, but it doesn't even do it intentionally. It just wants to be your friend because the other one says this friendly Pokemon doesn't like being alone. Pay it even the slightest attention, and it will follow you forever. That is really sad. That's really sad. What, what's Houndstones? Like, uh, okay, it spends most of its time sleeping at Gravelarks. Among all the dog Pokemon, this one is the most loyal to its master. Oh, my God. Well, they do talk about how the cattle and sheepdog is a very, um, it makes very strong bonds with, like, the family to the point where, like, early socialization can be um, important because they are, like, a livestock guardian breed. In addition to herding, I think they'll do a little bit of light guarding. Now, this is weird. In the Pokedex entry, it says that Houndstone is a lovingly mourned Pokemon that was reborn as a Houndstone. So basically, if you're unloved and pathetic and no one wants and you're not around people, you turn into a Grievard. But if you are well-loved and like people want you back, you just immediately just get up to a Houndstone. I guess. That's kind of... Yeah. You just just level up right away. Yeah, you're like, nope, that's the shortcut. If you're loved and then you die and people want you back, you get to be a ghost dog. So have fun. If you're hated, you get to be a ghost dog. Either way, we all end up as ghost dogs. A couple other little fun cattle and sheepdog facts. Um, Einstein from Back to the Future was a cattle and sheepdog. Ooh. And uh, the official mascot of the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. His name was Kobe, and he was also a cattle and sheepdog. Kobe. That's nice representation. I see that's that's what you get when you take trips to Spain. They actually got it right. Now, um, Chris, you added more to the notes. What did you Oh, yeah. In? There's just a fun little fact because I love some of the wordplay that they use when they name Pokemon. But uh, in the candle making process, uh, one of the byproducts is what is called uh, greaves, which you get uh, as the kind of solid material when you render out animal fat. Uh, they're also known as cracklings. Uh, yeah. And they, uh, after they're leftover for a long time, they are actually, they were actually used a lot as animal food, especially for dogs. Uh, and then Briards are actually a, another breed of dog from f- France. Uh, and so I was curious if we could get a closer look at Grivard to see if it has the double dewclaw that uh, Briards are known to have. Hmm. But I thought that was I, I love good wordplay and they usually do a good job making the names up with uh with with their uh oh god, what's it when the two things are when it's uh combined two words? Is that Portmando? Portmando. Portmanteau? Portmanteau. Yep, I use the <laughs> I love, Delete I, that. love <laughs> I love a good portmanteau. I think it's a good dog. That's I don't have as much on this one except it's a very good dog. I do hope that when Pokemon Snap Two comes out, you can get better pictures of it. Like yeah. when, they, when they, like if they don't make a Pokemon Snap Two, they're wasting their time. I really enjoyed the uh, the remaster or yeah, remake, okay. I guess it was. Now um, this... I, do, I will say I do think um, apologize to all the singles players, but I think Lycanroc is the better Sand dog. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree. I'll I know agree Last Respects is really dumb and like 6v6 but it's not nearly as good in vgc i mean it's still a fast doggo and i think it's pretty neat i I do love double rock sliding things with tyranitar and lycan rock it's just no i don't want you to move like i don't no no sir 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 i don't want you to move you stay right there i love double flinch it's mean and cruel but i love it now speaking of mean and cruel i'll be honest with you folks if you don't know me I don't really care as much for spicy food. And people assume that you're from like a Latin country. You should like it. No, no, that's an assumption. But I don't. Chris, on the other hand. Love spicy food. So you get this Pokemon. This is on you. I don't, I didn't touch these notes. This is your I'm monster. I'm pro-spicy as well. You, this I, think is I, your served, I think I served Lucas spicy food when he came into my house one time. And I served you fruit to try and give you a diet. You're welcome. I have been calling for a pepper Pokemon for quite a bit now. And we finally got a little chili pepper Pokemon with Capsaicid and Scovelane. I love fire grass typing. I'm a little disappointed in these two Pokemon, but I, I will love them for what they are. So 
chili peppers are believed to have originated in Central and South America and obviously have become worldwide sensations in lots of cuisines after they were brought back to uh, Europe uh, after the Spanish invaded the Americas. And capsaicin to me is one of the tragedies of nature because it was evolved in peppers to be a deterrent, but it's the very reason why humans harvest them, uh, which is very sad for the peppers. There's a lot of really great memes about that. There's lots of people like making memes of like, you know, the Mo Homer meme where like Mo is staring, just staring up at Homer and Homer's about to like kill him or something. Yeah. And it's just literally like the Mo is just down there with like a, a, a random pepper just trying to survive human looking for that zippity spice. Yeah. No, it, capsaicin is capsaicin is funky because like it can you know cause intense pain, but it also is used to treat pains like arthritis, and it's a very weird, uh, weird little chemical. Now, if you have ever heard when you are cooking with chili peppers that to limit the heat, don't add the seeds. I'm sorry to tell you that you have been misled. Uh, oh. The seeds aren't, or the seeds don't contain the capsaicin. It's the white fleshy parts that are next to the seeds and i'm very disappointed in pokemon because it's perpetuating this because capsaicin it says in the decks that the spice comes from its tooth that falls off which is essentially the same idea as the seed and pokemon is now misleading people and people are and you are are not going to be limiting as much spice as you think if you only remove the seeds i didn't expect us to get like into culinary tips this far this early into our podcast but i do appreciate it i don't well, really it's important because if you want to make if you don't like spice but you want a little bit just make sure you take the white white bits off of the pepper too not just the seeds I think it's also really fascinating. Like, as you said, it's gone around the world. Like, it started when, like, the Spanish, like, took whatever they wanted and, like, came back and, like, look what we found, guys. But, like, it's so cool that it made its way, like, all the way to, like, places like South Korea, which now has a really good thing on spicy food. It made its all the way up to, like, other parts of Europe and Asia and Africa. Like, all this spice. People love it. Like, now spicy food is, like, just such a staple in so many areas because of just this one plant. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, it's, it's definitely like it, it, it is a, it has flourished, uh, in beyond the Americas. Now the, uh, the bird-like physique for capsaicid to me, uh, I think is also a fun byproduct of evolution because while capsaicin is a deterrent for things like humans or supposed to be a deterrent for humans, birds are actually not affected by it they can eat as many peppers as they want and theoretically this helps peppers spread their seeds because the birds will eat as many peppers as they want not be deterred by the spice because they don't feel it and they carry those seeds and poop them out and spread the pepper seeds if i might uh top in right there too i've actually seen anti-squirrel bird food that is very spicy I've seen that too. People have just said, yeah, if you want to make sure squirrels stop eating stuff out of your bird feeder, spray some chili peppers in there. They'll get the hint. Also, um, talking about the, the bird-like status of them both and caps a kid's little tooth, um, some birds, um, when they are in the egg, develop an egg tooth on the tip of their beak to chip their way out of the shell better, and then they lose it on evolution. Or on, I guess on exiting. <laughs> Caps a kid loses his on evolution. <laughs> when they evolve out of their egg. When they evolve, yes, when they evolve from egg. Uh, snakes also get the tooth too. So it's against yes. the reptile thing. Uh, so now Scovillain has two heads, a red one and a green one. Uh, red chilies are fully mature. Uh, well, green ones are not fully ripened yet, but people still eat red and green at different stages of their uh, ripeness. Now the name itself relates to a well-known measurement of heat for peppers, the Scoville scale. Uh, originally, I think it was developed in 1912. Originally, it involved grinding the peppers up and mixing with sugar and water, essentially trying to dilute the spiciness and then having people taste it and rate the spiciness. So it's how much sugar and water is needed to dilute the spiciness of that pepper. And that's how the Scoville scale was originally designed to work. Obviously, that leaves a lot of room for interpretation. Say, so, Wilbur Scoville and, um, Justin Schmidt are my two like favorite scale of intensity of thing people. Um, Schmidt did the sting index. Oh, I remember was just that. Making people eat peppers in liquid form. The other guy was just stinging himself, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that one's a bad one." <laughs> Shout out to Hot. We'll use this. Or... We'll use these numbers I made up. 
shout out to Hot Take for uh, hurting our celebrities with like burning peppers. I appreciate that. Like hot ones. Yeah, hot ones. That was it. Sorry, hot ones. That, oh, I'm so bad. Shout out to hot ones. Appreciate that. The uh, so nowadays, uh, it's there's a process called high performance liquid chromatography, which is a little bit more accurate in this in detecting the amount of capsaicin in a chili pepper, uh, where it can actually like see it. But the Scoville scale makes for a great marketing tactic. Uh, a lot of times you see things referencing like x num x times hotter than a jalapeno because that's a lot of people's measuring stick for hotness. So the current hottest hottest recognized pepper in the world is the Carolina Reaper. So the Scoville scale for the Carolina Reaper is 1,641,183 SHUs. We'll do the jalapenos test. A jalapeno on the Scoville is between 2,000 and 8,000. That's that's dumb. <laughs> that's a, a dumb difference. But uh, the, I said it's currently the recognized one because there are two that claim to be hotter than the Carolina Reaper. They just haven't been verified yet. There's one from Wales called the Dragon's Breath and then one called the uh, Pepper X, which was actually created by the man who created the Carolina Reaper. Look, at a certain point, if it starts becoming that you have to eat it to be hospitalized, you get hospitalized if you eat it. Like, I don't think it should count. <laughs> the uh, So also for reference, the the Pepper X is said to have a 3,180,000 SHUs. So three times hotter than the Carolina Reaper. Yeah, again, that's just hospitalized. You die. Why would you eat this? So all that to say, Capsaicin and Scovillain, I love that there's a little chili pepper Pokemon, a little disappointed in their designs, but I think they're, I still think they're cool. See, I like the design. Speaking of designs, have you seen the shiny form? Because I hate it. Again with this? This is like episode two. Hang on, shiny... Scoville. Oh, it's blue. It's got blue. It's a shirtless guy with jeans on. Stop. Stop. I can't unsee that. He looks like Homer Simpson without a shirt on. Yeah, he's just there like that. You know what? That guy's probably like working the grill, though. <laughs> are the heads are the heads switched? They might be like a uh, stop grilling. No, no, no I think the right they're just thing. lighter colored. Yeah. He just he just took his shirt off, got his jeans on. He's having a nice day out. It's a nice, a beautiful, it's a beautiful Memorial Day weekend. He's out there grilling. It's a grilling day, Bobby. We ain't need no shirt. He is kind of built like Hank Hill. He is kind of built like Hank Hill, isn't he? And again, it's, it, I think it's a cool, it's the first fire grass type and it deserves the title. Its ability is awesome. It's somehow got to get useful somewhere. And I like its attack when it's paired with Dragapult. It's fun. Oh, the, yeah, you can do that. You can do goofy things with Mirror Herb as well. Uh-huh. I think it's cool. I like it. Like I think, yeah, I've seen the mirror herb one where you spit it out of the special attacker. It's worthless to them, and then you mirror herb and kill things. And you drop their defense. Yeah, it's great. I've seen some work with that with foul play. So someone did that with like a foul play Murkrow as their partner, and they would just like do the crap tons of damage with it. It's I like that. Neat. I like the idea. Yeah, it's, it's great for making sure that foul play actually hits. So you get a really fast foul play user and just like knock them down. Fun Pokemon. Now. When we were putting the notes together for this, I, like in the middle of it, I realized that I was already talking about two of the starters. So we're going to wrap this up by talking about the three final starters because each and every one of them is more cultural than biological. I talked about Skeleturge so much already. I, I didn't write, I'm sorry. No, it's all good. You didn't somehow, unsurprisingly, you hit none of the facts that I was going to talk about. Like absolutely none of them. Well done. So as tradition dictates, Let's talk about the grass type first. Uh, yeah, again. Pokemon on parade. Mascarada on every team. It's going to be, yeah, forever. It'll be around. Every time there's a two-legged cat, it's going to be in the meta. Deal with it. Just wait till we have, wait till we have six two-legged cats. It's going to, oh God, no. We have, do no. we not already? We might. We have no, most of the other cats stay on four legs. Oh, except for Perserker. Perserker's awesome. I love Perserker. Perserker, both forms of uh, Meow Stick. That's three right there. Incineroar, mm -hmm. Meow Scarada. Hmm. Dang. Is there, a, is there another one? Maybe. I don't know. All the cats are kind of mean, so I tend to forget about them. Perloin stands up and then go and then goes down. Yeah, again, it's it's like a reverse of what they wanted. <laughs> I don't know. Weird. Anyway, so Meow Scarada. 
obviously its name is based on uh masquerade or meowscarade, whatever. But masquerade obviously means two things. To masquerade can also mean to disguise, hence it learns it learns the ability. What's the ability? Ah, why did my brain fart when I'm recording? What's the ability? Protean. Protean, thank you. It learns Protean so it can change its type to fight things, which it's okay because they nerfed Protean into the ground. But, you know, it's still fine. But also, it's still fun to talk about masquerades. So masquerade parties are originally French. The earliest ones seem to have happened around the 14th or 15th century. But they became really popular around Europe between the 17th and 18th. And the parties got pretty wild because they were mostly done by rich aristocrats with nothing better to do. Who doesn't love a costume party? I've seen Eyes Wide Shot. Yeah, it's Don. Come on. (laughs) It's insane just what you'll do when you're rich and bored. But the masquerade parties were interesting culturally because they gave people a chance to not only celebrate and promote theater and all kinds of stuff. There were even assassinations that happened at some of these things. It's wild. But the mask and the costumes were such a huge part of it because not only did they give you a chance to show off, it gives you a sense of freedom. If you are a lowborn person, a lower noble, and you throw on this mask and you throw on this costume, you can now interact with everyone pretty freely and you can be someone completely different. This is like the earliest form of cosplay. You dress up and you be whoever you want to be. And the highborns get to play the game of, oh, guess who? Who do you think that one is? Who do you think that one is? So I think it's something almost liberating. In those days. Now, these days, there's some pretty wild ones. While I was reading up on this, like there, there's still masquerades going on today because people love that stuff. They want to. It's a fun party thing. And personally, I like the more than Gatsby parties. Like everyone throws like a great Gatsby party. I'm like, you clearly didn't read the book. But I like these. I don't know. Maybe they plan to die in a pool. Come spoilers, <laughs> spoilers for an almost a hundred year old book. Uh, now, Meowscarada, if you read its deck entry, it very much behaves like a stage magician. Like, it's got invisible wires and smoke bombs. And I, I had to dip my toes into, like, illusion, like, the history of illusion magic, which is really hard to look up without getting something about video games or witchcraft. So, thank you for that, I guess, internet. But it turns out, like, illusion magic is, like, super old. There's really old art depicted by... Hieronymus, Hieronymus Bosch. It depicted illusion magic being done as old as like 18, uh, 1475. Like it's really, it's been done forever. You got to know good party tricks. Yeah, no. And it's like how people made money and people were able to like distinguish it from like, hey, this isn't witchcraft. This is just some guy tricking us and it's fun. So they were less like. For a while, that was a very important distinction to be able to <laughs> My thumb <laughs> is still attached. Like, no, no where thumbs is attached, it's just wires. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Get the logs. <laughs> no, no, please. The rabbit. The rabbit's in the shape. The rabbit's not actually in the hat. Please don't get kill the, me. Get a duck. Get a duck and a scale. <laughs> I, I do think um, it does tend to focus a lot more on like things like modern stage magic, which got a huge boost in like the mid 1900s because of just new technology, like things like the invisible wire, things like uh, the different technology of like reversing mirrors. What's cool about the history of illusion making is that it is very much tied to the history of technological progression. When you made electricity, people started using that in their illusion magic. When you started making different sorts of smoke bombs, they use that. Anytime technology progresses, it tends to get its way into magic somehow. And I think that's pretty neat. It's also really weird that like, when you look up the history of stage magic, it's either really American or really French. So I, this is a really French cat. Like it, it, everything about it, like screams, this should be in France. I don't know why. You know what? We're going to take Chestnut and we're going to move him here. And we're going to put the cat there in generation six. And then everything balances out. It's fine. Everything's fine. I have to say, I'm very disappointed that the shiny form does not have a red mask for the the mask of the red death story i i do oh true i just think overall i've been kind of disappointed in a lot of the shinies this gen yeah i think that's been the running theme in the past two episodes like hey you like this no it's shiny stinks (laughs) and i like i like these pokemon for the most part i don't really love scovillian to be honest but i think mascarada is solid it's really grown on me now skeledrig is skeledrig thank you i'm you're gonna just correct me as i mispronounce stuff and i respect the heck out of that for you um as you all, as you said, it is based on a croc. I honestly think it's a gator almost because it has an overbite. Like you see it when you look at it, right? Like it has an overbite. 
Yeah. Is that the distinction? Yeah. Uh, with alligators, you have an o- their teeth have an overbite, whereas crocodilian, other crocodilians, their teeth lock together. That being said, it also has a narrow snout. I don't know. Like, it, it shares features with both an alligator and a crocodile. So, I don't know. Maybe it is a crocodile. I can look up what the uh, I know they said they found there's fossil evidence of an Iberian crocodile from like way way back. Then it's a crocodile in a weird design. Then we go with that. Like there aren't too many alligator species left. I don't know. Again, alligators really work best in areas where it's like hot, but it can also get a little bit cold. So I would maybe Spain would have been a good area for them in the past. I don't know. They're they're awesome anyway. In any case, they did grow up to be a fiery singer. And we have that in its moves. We have that in the, what Donna did to the stage. But it could also tie up to things like Dia de los Muertos with how it looks like a skull. Like you can look like the different painted skulls there. But oh, there, are, curious. there are multiple myths that come from Spain involving like giant reptilian monsters. My favorite is the Lizard of Magdalena. The Lizard of Magdalena, hilarious story. It all, I'm going to summarize it. it. takes place in the city of Jean and a monster as it kept growing, was eating more more people. At first, it would only eat one or two people a year, but eventually it just kept eating and eating and eating until eventually its stomach kept rumbling and it had to go and keep going and eating people. So the people are like, okay, how do you kill this monster? It's a monster. We can't kill it normally. A prisoner showed up and said, hey, if you let me go, I'll tell you how to kill it. Just give me a fresh sheepskin, a barrel, and some gunpowder, and I'll help out. And they're like, bet. Go ahead. It's on you. So he took the barrel, shoved a gunpowder in it, had a fuse attached and then covered it in a fresh sheepskin and then just had bread freshly made and lured it to the sheepskin. Since it still smelled of sheep, it got, it got eaten and then it lit the fuse and, um, well, kaboom. They blew it up. That's also how they got Jaws. Yeah. Smile, you son of a boom. And maybe that's where Jaws got the idea. You just see Steven Spielberg reading like Spanish old myths like, hmm. This could be a shark. I can, I can work with this. I can work. I can make this a shark. Uh, I think it's also really cool because like the story talks about how like the explosion lasted for three days. Sick. Like, like it's a really big. <laughs> this guy made a really big bomb to blow up a monster. And out of all like the fantasy ways to kill a monster, like a spear given by Christ, a sword given from a lady of the lake, black powder bombs and a sheepskin is kind of my new favorite way to kill a monster. The original Florida man. I'm into it. <laughs> I like it. I enjoy it immensely. But yeah, Skeledrig also has a lot of ties with opera, mariachi. Music is a central part of Spanish culture, so much so that like almost any Spanish-speaking nation has its own multiple different styles of song and dance. I, I know that's the same for a lot of cultures, but like, look, there's you go to any city in the United States, it has a Spanish radio channel. Like, it, it, I'm just saying, like, there's so much Spanish music out there. And I think it's really cool that this Pokemon kind of encapsulates that. Well, that also bleeds into this next one, Lucas. Wait, wait, can I drop a fun crocodile fact real quick? As many as you like. All right. So um, I, I was trying to find the name specifically of the extinct. Um, so yeah, there's been fossil remains of Iberiosuchus, um, which translates to the Iberian crocodile. Um, it's an extinct. I mean, when I say like, oh, I mean, this is like the... Like the Eocene epoch, so like I think like 33 to like 50 something million years ago, 33 to 56 million years ago, um, and from what the the bits of the bones they have found seems to be uh, indicative that it was a land dwelling crocodile, which were more of a thing back then. Terrestrial crocs. Yes. So didn't like water potentially, much as Skeledurge does not like water. What's the name of this one again? Um, Iberiosuchus. There was um, uh, Simiosuchus, which was another species of croc that ate vegetation, and I just it has a very cute, squishy face, and I quite love yeah, it. Yeah, I like that guy. And then yeah, there's Sarcosuchus, which is a big one that kills you. Yeah, I mean, I, I come on. like I, whenever well, yeah, Iberiosuchus was one of those that, that could gallop about, they think. Yeah, like a wolf croc. Like, imagine a crocodile that ran like a wolf, and be scared, and happy you live in the time that you do. Anyway, I, Normally, you're supposed to go like fire type last, but I wanted to save the best for last, at least for me, because I'm selfish. Quaquaval makes me feel seen. Quaquaval is the first truly Brazilian Pokemon, and I am so. Hitmontop. Hitmontop. Okay. Quaquaval is the second most Brazilian Pokemon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is the. Okay. Both of these Pokemon make me feel seen because this duck 
is straight out of Brazil with this carnival vibes. Like even Quaxley's Pokedex entry says it comes from a region far away. Now, Brazil obviously isn't directly Spanish, but it is connected to it because Portugal is also part of the Iberian Peninsula. It's right there. It's the one bit they couldn't take over because Portugal was just too metal for them to take. Whatever. So we count it. It's dance. It's movement. Watch this thing move in the game. Just leave it to move and watch and just play any kind of samba music underneath it. Like, go ahead and try it. I did. I pulled up YouTube while I was playing with this thing and just watched it move. And it matches the rhythm of every single samba beat that I could find. It's amazing. I love this thing so much. If you don't know anything about Brazil, you still have probably seen the flashy outfits worn in Carnival. I recently had to tell my coworkers what Carnival was. It's the same as Mardi Gras, only better. But the big celebration happens on Fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras is like big thing. Carnival is happening all over the world at the same time. And it's a, believe it or not, religious celebration. Like as much as you see the people dancing in less clothes than you would normally be around, as much as you see all the drinking and hooping and hollering and king cake and all that, they're all celebrations of like, hey, we're about to go into Lent mode. We're about to go into giving up something or adding something to our day in order to get closer to God. That's the whole point. In the south of Brazil, the tradition of carnival is to make massive floats, uh, get tons of lavish costumes and dancers and drive them down to the center of the Samba Drome and just have them march around in front of the judges to have like the biggest, best float ever and try and see who can win. Uh, it's I actually got a chance to be in carnival. Like I was in the parade. I have the costume and everything. Like they gave it to us. They said, okay, start dancing and marching. Keep going. Off you get. And we were just in the parade and it was an amazing experience. I will never forget how loud it was, the sound, the music. It's such a cool experience. And the best part is that you don't even need to go to the main festival. The city pays for bands to stand on buses and drive around different parts of the city. School is canceled. Work is canceled. If you have a surgery that ended an emergency, you bet it's canceled. You don't do anything on Carnival except party. That's it. It's awesome. What a time. It's the best. And this Pokemon is pure Carnival. I noticed that people, when they were mentioning this thing, coming out like, wow, they took a Pride Pokemon. And I think that's awesome that Pride took from Carnival to help celebrate who they are. Pokemon probably took from Brazil instead of stealing from Pride. I still have no problems with people calling it the Pride Pokemon because look at it. It's, it's, it's a king. Look at this king. Look at this queen. Look at them. Look at him go. I love him to death. He's just dan- they're just dancing and happy to be here. Yeah, they're just ha- they don't care. They're just having a good time. Whether they're, I mean, I love how it talks about how the dance is memorizing, how it fights. Again, dance fighting is just capoeira. I love, love, love this Pokemon because, again, it makes me feel seen. Representation matters in video games. It matters in movies. When you give people a chance to see a bit of their culture reflected in a positive light, people take notice, they remember it, and they will keep coming back. Brazil is a huge market for this stuff. They love video games, like just as much as anyone else does. And it's so cool to see one of the starters, one of the main Pokemon represent your country in a positive light. Things in Brazil have not been bright and sunny all the time. And specifically recently, there was a lot of issues in the government. But I think that's really cool that they added this Pokemon. Again, it's not the top in the fight. It's not going to be the highest in the meta. But I feel so... I don't know, just satisfied seeing this thing move. I love it. I love watching this thing move. It's it's the best. As we um, said, as, and as we've talked about, all three of these Pokemon are all three starters in particular, strong, strong, strong on many accounts. And I'm the fire starter guy. I always start fire, but I, even, even I like, I start fire this one. I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I could get both. Because they're, they're amazing. I love it. I mean, there's a lot of Pokemon culturally we could talk about. Like there's that one fish that's in the water that keeps chasing me down like a maniac. There's all there's the bread dog. There, there was a lot of Pokemon. We I'll talk, talk about, about the fish. We will talk about the fish later. We'll I talk about the you, bread dog. We will talk about the bread dog at some point. But I really do think um, they did knock it out of the park with the starters. Anything else you wanted that? I kind of went on a tirade on that. Last no, one. I, I'm all good. I think if we want to head to the wrap up. Yeah, let's go on the we'll wrapper. We'll wrapper this one up. I do want to thank you guys so much for listening to our um, to our second episode. I mean, it went a little longer, but like, I think it's important to like kind of go over this stuff because culture does matter. I think it's important to bring it up. Now, 
the next episode coming up after this, and this is all coming in one big pile, so you're not going to have to wait. You can just go right to the next one. We're going to be talking about history. We kind of hinted at it, but there's a reason why Spanish culture kind of got everywhere. And there's a lot of Pokemon, some of them even from other regions that made their way into the game that are just just cool to talk about with this region. So we'll kind of leave it at that. Um, we have all of our socials down below. If you guys want to check that out, we'll be more than happy to like talk to you guys. If you guys want to send us an email of a game you want to hear us talk about aside from Pokemon, we want to hear that. We want you guys to enjoy learning as much as we do. And that can't be done if we're just listing off our games. Give us suggestions of fun games we can play. Now, we do have... We'll, we'll try and focus on games more people know because having that one episode of an exclusive game on a Steam sale is fun for like six people, not for everybody. And we're definitely going to talk about... Don will talk about Pikmin. We, we, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about Pikmin. We will talk about Pikmin. <laughs> and, right. Elden Ring. And, Elder, and Elden Ring. And Elden Ring. And we'll talk about Just Cause 3. Eventually, we're going to get to... We have a big old list we got to make on like an Excel sheet or something of like all the games to talk about. But for now... Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoy the next episode. We'll see you guys later. Have a great night, day or night, everybody. We'll see you around. Bye.